Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Nate Barlow. He's a producer, writer, actor, director, and Hollywood executive. And I can't wait to hear more about his recent projects. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Nate, I was so intrigued how you graduated from Carnegie Mellon, and you have a degree in electrical and computer engineering. Yes, I do. Uh, but I did not play that career very long. I knew even during school, I suppose it helps to know that I came from a family like that. Uh, my father started out in music at Cornell and then switched it, started, started in engineering, then switched to music, which his parents were not, yes, his parents <laughs> were not so happy about it when I made my switch. I'm sure. As when I, when I made my switch, uh, his father was an engineer. So growing up, you know, the engineering element was always in my family, but I think I was as a kid, too safe. Mm -hmm. And even what drew me to engineering was a desire to invent. There was always a creative impulse. That's great. But what I came to realize during school was that um, you don't really get to invent unless you make it somewhere 20 years down the line, you know, at least in the corporate engineering track. Okay. If you have the ability to be financially independent going into it, and then you can do whatever you want is one thing, but who has that for the most part? Sure. And I didn't want to be have to wait that long to get to uh, to get to uh, that part of my career where I would be actually be able to freely create in the technical realm. Yeah. And I, you know, I said my father was in music, my mother was in music. I never uh, gravitated to music growing up, but I always loved uh, acting, and I always loved. And Great. I grew up, my father taught in a university and I got to go to the Wesleyan, Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. Is that uh, where you're from? Program. Yes, that's where I'm from. From Connecticut. From Connecticut. Me too. Oh, what part? <laughs> well, I, I was born in Bridgeport. Then I ended up living in Manhattan growing up and then back to Stanford. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. I was a center. Uh, we grew, I was in Portland. And if you were to take a pin, you know, if you cut off the part that goes down to New York and you look at it as basically a block, take a okay. pin, go straight center. You're going to be within uh, just a little bit of uh, where Portland is. I've never even heard of Portland, Connecticut. It's a it's a small town. It's basically a feeder to Middletown where Wesleyan is. I know where Middletown is. Yeah. So yeah, the Aragone Bridge connects it connects Portland to Middletown. Okay. So it's a... So as I was always saying, you know, Wesleyan had this film studies program and I got to go see these movies on the big screen when everyone else was watching them on VHS or poor TV. I got yeah. to see all the classic movies uh, on the big screen growing up as part of the Wesleyan film program because my dad yeah. taught there. Yeah. And so all that was, you know, in the background. And at Carnegie, I started to realize I'm not going to be able to do what I want as an engineer. But I was also growing, as we all do in college, and had the courage at that point to do something more daring. So my junior and senior years, I was planning to get out of engineering. I was taking uh, filmmaking at uh, Pittsburgh Filmmakers. I was taking acting for non-majors at Carnegie Mellon. And so I had a job interview off a summer internship. I worked that for a while. And of course, when you're out in the new world, right. you're making money, you're excited and get that. Sure. And what happened was I was on a business trip. My, I, was, I was working in Long Island. I was on a business trip to San Francisco. Well, actually San Jose, but my cousin lived in San Francisco and I went uh, up to visit her and we went and saw a play where masks that she made were in use. Her great love is mask making. And once I got into that live theater setting, 
Ah. It brought it all back. And from that point, I was saving up money to move to Los Angeles and get into movies. And how did that go? <laughs> it's always, a, it's a crazy ride. I mean, as opposed to people who studied in school, I came in completely cold with only a few contacts. Uh, but, you know, yeah, that's yeah. not unheard of either. No, not at so all. I, you know, utilized those contacts where I could, started working on student films and, you know, graduated to bigger and better projects and then eventually started making my own. And, you know, even some of those people I met on my very first few projects are uh, still good friends and I'm still working with them. That's amazing. It's good you followed your heart because a lot of times we do feel we're going to follow the path we're told or the follow the path that our family thinks we should go in or you follow what your parents have done. And, you know, at its core, it's not you. Yes. You know, it's just not. Yes. I mean, I'm lucky. I had a family that was supportive. I was a, had a family that understood. And of course, my father had made a similar jump, though a little bit earlier. He hadn't didn't complete the engineering degree. He did it in music. My mom had been put into music by her mother. Uh, so I was lucky. I had the familial yeah. support, which not everyone has. But right. even if you don't, you know, you have to follow your dreams. You have to jump into that or you're going to regret it at some point down the line. You're right. So let's jump into your latest work. You've got this film, A Brief History of Hollywood. How did that come about? So it started, it started many, many years ago, actually. Uh, you know, I should say that when I first came to Los Angeles, even before I moved here, I was on a, actually another business trip for the engineering company. And so I did the things that everybody does when they get here. And one was see the sign. So I saw the sign, like, okay, been there, done that, didn't think much about it. Yeah. Years later, when I'm actually out here, I was up in the Hollywood land development for which the sign was originally a billboard. And I forget why I was there at the time, but once you get up into that development and you start to see just how big those letters actually are, yeah. they're huge. Yeah. And it makes sense, but it, you know, it makes sense from how far you can see them. You can see it all the way down on the 105 freeway on a clear mm -hmm. day, but it doesn't really register until you're there you know just look up and like they're massive and i just Whoa. became fascinated with the sign yeah um and so i started researching the history and it really has a fascinating history that many people don't know about all the ups and downs and i said this would be a cool little film to you know see the transitions of the sign but i didn't feel like that was a movie in its own right until okay. it struck me about the hollywood sign is of course a symbol for the Hollywood industry. It wasn't intended as such, but it became it. What was it intended? It was originally a billboard. It was a billboard designed for 18 months to advertise the Hollywood land development as it was just being built. Oh. So it was just a giant, giant billboard. And of course it was not Hollywood sign. It was the Hollywood land sign, mm -hmm. the land being taken down in the forties uh, as the sign was going through one of its many restorations, not the big one, the big one was 78. And parts of it were falling down. So they rebuilt the H then and just ripped off the land because it was already becoming a symbol more for the, the city and the, and the industry. So I was, so the other thing that suddenly struck me is it's a symbol for the industry. And let's overlay this simulated time-lapse of the sign with all the technical advances of, of Hollywood. So it starts in sepia tone. It goes to black and white color. You've got 3D, you've got the varying aspect ratios of the 1950s. There's even this kind of smile box effect of, uh, of uh, Cinerama. And mm -hmm. so 
layering all these technical advances on top of it. So it's not only the story, you're not only watching the evolution of the sign, but the screen itself is constantly changing. And then putting on top of it for a score, a constantly evolving musical track of music from the different time periods. I love that. And of course the sign, the ups and downs of the sign, the other thing I realized is while it's always, not always, but since 1930s or so, being started, that's when it started being a symbol of the industry, is that really the ups and downs of the sign mirror the ups and downs of Hollywood, the town and of our country. So actually is a symbol working at multi. Very smart. Thank you. Yeah. And did the film just come out? I finished it after many years of work. I literally, I don't have an animation background. For years I thought, oh, maybe I should find somebody to do this. And then I said, no, I got to do it myself and taught mm -hmm. myself After Effects on the fly to do Whoa. this. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, interesting. It was an interesting experience that way. It's, I'm sh I got through everything. Mm -hmm. Some of it's probably bull in the china shop, but not the most elegant solution, but whatever works, right? Sure. Uh, so I finished after many years of work on and off in October of last year. And since then it's been playing uh, a festival starting in first festivals in December. It's you play, it's through six, there's seven more so far. I've seen hopefully, hoping many more will come in. So it's off to a great start. And you've got some, some great uh, feedback, haven't you? Excellent feedback and people have really, really loved it so far because it's again it's I call it an experimental documentary uh, it's actually probably technically I actually with the first festival played actually was in animation because it is computer animated you know right. photorealistic so it's actually an animated experimental documentary <laughs> interesting combination there um, and uh, it's been a finalist in two festivals people have really really liked it I think for learning about the sign a lot of people did not know about much of this history Sure. And also, stylistically, it's such a different than the, the experimental aspect of it. Amazing. And now you also have another project. Yes, I am the co-producer or one of the co-producers on a documentary on the craft of Scotch whiskey called The Water of Life. Is that? Yes. Uh, it's uh, that we finished up end of uh, last year and had a six day launch event in January. But well, what should be said is that we were, before the pandemic, we were starting to submit to film festivals. Okay. We just got into Seattle. Uh, Fantastic. One of the largest ones and uh, pandemic hit and everything went to, to pieces and the festivals canceled, canceled. Yes. So, uh, you know, we rethought what we were going to do and we decided to, instead of going to uh, the traditional film festival route, we would take it to whiskey festivals and the whiskey right. public mm -hmm. and all these, uh, you know, the actual true, the most hardcore end audience for the movie. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we had this at launch event in January and now we are, uh, again, taking it to exactly those audiences. We've had doing all these small club screenings, private right. screenings, and eventually, uh, eventually it'll be on, you know, Netflix, Amazon, we'll take to the streamers, yeah. discs, uh, for those who still like discs, but we're, you know, doing a self-distribution route first, and it's been going really, really well. The reception has been absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Talk about pivoting in the pandemic. Yes. Whoa. 
Yes, it's a, it changed everything. I mean, we were lucky. We were in post-production on that. I was in my other, you know, the short, it was being rendered. So it meant that we could continue uh, working when obviously much of the industry completely shut down. Sure, yeah. Pretty much and everything. are you, you doing a lot of press like this? Yes, uh, just started into it. I've done a, a few interviews uh, so far. Good. Uh, and I've, I've been doing interviews for the short Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had a lot of press on uh, on the on the feature on the on the whiskey documentary. Great! So uh, bravo! Been, yeah, it's been getting good. Good. It's gotten a lot of press in the the whiskey doc has gotten a lot of press in the in the whiskey press. All the you know, all the web websites, whiskey magazines. It's been picked up uh, really really highly there. And what is your hope for for these uh, two projects? Well, you know, I said, pri uh, Water of Life, the whiskey film, will mm -hmm. eventually, uh, you know, can, uh, go to streamers, go to discs. Can hope, yeah. you know, after we do our self-distribution run, we'll hopefully have, you know, traditional distribution. Great. And we have ideas for taking the concept uh, further. We have a lot of, we shot a lot of footage. And we basically have enough for it. Uh, we have the basis of a second movie on another theme in that in the whiskey world, and we okay. could uh, do other things too. Uh, maybe fantastic. We've got you know abilities to expand that down the line. Mm -hmm. For a brief history of Hollywood, our my idea is I want to finish the festival run, mm -hmm. and then I want to approach PBS. You know, the shorts are an interesting. Yes. You know, have an interesting uh, a series of outlets. By gather, PBS does some of the work of shorts. Mm -hmm. I've been, I've had it suggested to me that educational sphere. Uh, so sure. I will take to that. And something I definitely want to hit are museums. Oh, that's a great the, idea. The Autry Museum, uh, right here by Griffith Park, has a two to three year old uh, Griffith Park room, okay. uh, new element. And so a couple of years ago, that room had just opened. I was chaperoning one of my daughter's field trips. And I mentioned I was working on this to the docent. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that would be great. When you are complete, bring it uh, here to us. I think, you know, obviously I'm a docent, but right. you know, bring it up. This could obviously fit this room. And- Perfect. Uh, we will see. Obviously, again, it's the pandemic. Museums right, right. are shut down. I mean, they're starting to reopen, but we are. Again, I'm in the midst of the film festival run, so I want to complete the the film festival sure. run first. Also, Hollywood Heritage. I mentioned it when I, when I was there, and they mm -hmm. like the idea. So there's a bunch right. of museums where it could actually be a standing exhibit. I think it's a great idea, and you know, they could even stream it online, perhaps. Yeah, you know, it's, promote uh, it and stream it, and uh, that's fantastic. Anything else you'd like people to know about you? Well, let me see. Uh, I've uh, I've got my hmm <laughs> about me. Well, uh, you. Doing, I think I read that you are also an actor, or you were doing acting at one point. I am an actor. I put it aside for quite some time uh, because I have two young daughters, and so I was, you know, kind of watching over them. My wife uh, is a animation executive, and so I was. I've been the my projects, I could freelance so I could be around with them while she had the more steady job. Sure. And so, but acting kind of didn't really work into that picture. Mm -hmm. Now, my younger one is an actress herself. 
Oh, good. And so I've started auditioning again uh, with, uh, you know, working with her, her agent, but I would love for that to take right. off again. But, you know, we, we, we will see. It's a, it's a re-entry point. Of course, I know. When, did, when did I start the re-entry? Same time everything else went crazy, right? The I pandemic, know, everything. I know. <laughs> but really, when you, when you look at shows and you see how diverse the casting is now, you just never know. I mean, I, I got into acting years ago um, when I moved here in 2000 in voiceover. And my agent, who's no longer alive, Marianne Burzon, said, oh, sweetheart, you have to do a variety of things. You can't just do voiceover. So I was like, okay. And, you know, you kind of get into different things. And then you sometimes you take time off because it's, you know, when you don't book, it's disheartening. Yes, right? it is. Uh... It never really bothered me. I mean, I know I understand for most a lot of people it's disheartening. Yeah. But maybe because when I first, yeah, yeah, I came doing both sides. So a, I always had those other things to keep me going. But b, Mm -hmm. I could see it from I knew it from that knew it from that standpoint. So you're looking at the numbers. You look at all these people. You understand that. And so when you understand it from the business standpoint, right? You know, and how it's a business in all the numbers, you don't. I don't think the emotions of that get quite in the way. And my sure. daughter, does she want to book everything? Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't phase her one bit. It's good. So, it's good. you know, she already has that mindset in there. And I think, you know, it's probably something about kids who grew up around the industry mm-hmm. you know, with both, uh, both their parents in it. My daughter's, my older one isn't interested, even though she loves making stop motion animation. She's uh, just cool. in taught herself. The other one is, you know, the actress but they grew up around it. So th- I think that, and with me as having an acting background, actually my wife studied acting though hasn't pursued it professionally. We able to give that kind of grounding. So the emotional aspect where that ups- is so upsetting, uh, she, she, she's totally upset, you know, there yeah. I, they see a hundred people, it's right about the look, it can be matched. She, she gets that. It's good, it's healthy. Yes. <laughs> the best advice I ever got from a casting director was have a full life. So you don't come in and this is all you're betting on and you're desperate for it and you really want it and do other things. Absolutely. You know, at least, at least even if you don't want to be doing other things outside or even inside the industry, everyone should be on both sides of the camera at some point. I agree. Well, really, I think for an actor to understand the other side, just knowing how those people have to work and work with you makes you a better actor and more understanding of the situations and vice versa. It's a really, really important to play as many roles inside the business. Maybe not play, but at least try once. Get a sense of experience. Yes. Yes. You don't have to be doing them all, but just try them. I agree. One last question. The show is called Get the Funk Out. Yes. I was in my own funk years ago. And I love when people share stories of resilience. So was there a time where... You were thinking, oh, this is so hard. I'm so down. But all of a sudden you had this light bulb moment. Like what, what advice would you give someone who's having a hard time right now, who's a creative or anyone? I mean, it's easy to say, keep plugging because life turns at an instant. And you just have to look at this last year to know how all of our lives turned upside down. Oh yeah. And, it, and there's no greater example. And, you know, sometimes it's, you do different things sometimes just need to take a deep breath so i know in writing and you just don't get it it's one of the common writers go off and do something for me when if i hit a right writer's block i work at something completely different and just let it 
just percolate yeah. in my brain and eventually it work, it works out so for you know you have to find what's the right methodology for you other other things not writing for me it's just keep on hammering 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 and just till i break break through right um uh, you know and just have some other again as you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago have some other interests or something else that you can do that will just relax your calm your makes you happy mm-hmm. and don't let if you're all in on one thing that's where it really hurts you because you don't have anything else to fall back on right. whether it's family whether it's hobbies whether it's whatever mm-hmm. you know but you never want to stop whether whether you need to take a momentary break just to let your brain work in other things whether you just need to hammer whether you need just you know if this project isn't done work on something else whatever it is you know go having always having i think multi threads is a great yes great thing to do um you know i i jump in and out of projects left and right i can't even half the time is oh i got to do this one now this one this and uh, and if I, oh, wait, I actually have downtime. Okay. I, now I can go back to this one. I want to do, yes. you know, always having something else to go on is, you know, to keep your brain fresh, keep your brain popping. But it means that even if the one is not going well, your, your energy, you know, you can feel positive about the other one. And in it, this was, you know, I know a lot of my friends who have very positive attitudes about this were Okay pandemic's down. Okay. I'm going to start writing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah, you know, exactly. I was lucky because I had two films in post-production. So I was, I never missed a step, but doesn't mean that when I had a few minutes here and there, yeah. I was writing. That's good. You know, I, I wanted to say that I'm a screenwriter as well. And I, I wrote some shorts during the pandemic and I got them into film freeway, a couple of the festivals, and I was a finalist and what a boost to my mood to get that email that you're a finalist. And I'm like, Whoa, to take that that creative idea that's gnawing at you and to do something with it and write it, even if it's a short, it's, you know, 25, 30 pages, whatever it is, and get it done. It's such a boost. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. it's such a great feeling. Even if there's no accolades, it's just, I completely oh, yeah. trip. I finished it. I got through it getting it. to the end. Yeah. But yeah, when you get those emails, it's great. Especially, especially when the first few, uh, you know, brief history of Hollywood, I love it. Everyone I've talked to seems to really enjoy it, but because it's experimental, it doesn't necessarily fall into great categorization, especially for festivals. And I can totally understand how a festival might actually, some of the people might like it, but it just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And so you get those first few, it's, oh, not accepted, not accepted. And then you get that first one where it's, yes. Yes. (laughs) Somebody gets me. Yes, I get, people get it and excited. And I think there's an energy because it always comes in spurts. You won't get any, you know, re- yes. rejection and several want you at once. And there's a, you know, right. a certain energy that goes to it or uh, even though they're completely disconnected, just. But, you know, I, I once wrote this article, uh, Dear Rejection, Thank You, because I feel like when I get these rejections, it just makes me a better writer. It just makes me keep going. My dad always said, just keep going. Don't stop. You know, and I just think don't fear those rejections. I've heard authors say they got 26 rejections before they ended up with a huge publishing deal. Yeah. With yeah. J.K. Rowling, I think with Harry Potter, there were seven or 13. I think it was huge. Yeah, it was a big yeah. list. Yeah. And imagine imagine what those people are all thinking now. Like, you passed up a billion dollar property. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, you just got to, you can't, you know, 
you just have to find the right person who who likes it or who gets it. It doesn't yeah. matter that, uh, you know, and some people are just, some people who are supposedly in creative roles, a lot of people are, especially executives are not creative at all. And even people who are supposed to be yeah. often are editors. So you just, you can't let, that's the best advice. You can't take a bigger perspective. It's mm-hmm. not a comment on you. Yes. Realize that there's a, you know, it's nothing personal about you. It's a business. Mm-hmm. And you got to just think of it as a business and look at the logistics, put yourself in the other shoe, Yeah, you know, put yourself on the other side, say, oh yeah, well, there's this, you know, all these working mechanisms. You may have been the right, done a brilliant audition, but if you don't look, it's a family role and you don't look the rest of the family, you're not going to get cast. And that's, you know, right, that's, right. that's just sensibility. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that stage where you have a willing belief. There's this, you know, there is, does have to be a certain logic on, on screen. And put yourself in those shoes and just keep on playing because it just takes the one right person who say, wait a second, that works. That connects for me. Yes. So. I'll share a funny story with you and then we're going to wrap. Um, several years ago, I got a call on a Friday early in the day. I was going to audition for Modern Family. I was like, what? I was bouncing off the walls. So excited. I had to be there at like five o'clock on a Friday driving to the studio, you know, so excited, so excited. I do the audition, no idea who I do. I just let it go. You know, I didn't book it, but I go and look at the episode that I auditioned for and the woman looked nothing like me. And I thought, okay, that's fine. That, that I didn't have the right look. Okay. But I was so excited, you know? See, I think for acting, you have to enjoy the audition process. I just love going, I had some same with my daughter. I just like going to the auditions. At least after a certain point, I didn't to begin with. You know, I was like, oh, I was nervous. I was all that. And I started doing karaoke and I would do this crazy rock star bit, jumping off the stage. <laughs> I've split my head open. I, you know, I've, uh, yeah, I broke a toe. I blew out the speakers. But once I got that complete abandon, I just, I didn't care about the auditions anymore. I didn't worry about them. I went in and enjoyed the audition. And that's, that's when I started booking. When you don't, when you get, don't get hung up about getting it and just enjoy I agree. Little increments of the process. Yes. The thing, you know, you enjoyed you enjoyed the audition, and then you see the role. Like, well, if that's what the direction they went, there's no yes. way I ever had a chance if they decided to go for a completely, completely yes. different look. But definitely, you know, and thinking back, I remember booking a voiceover job where I had to go into this little booth, and the casting director was standing right outside, Mark Cashman, who I really adore. And I just gave it like turbo mode, and I booked it. But I remember thinking, like, don't care what anybody thinks just get into character and give it 150%. And I was just amped up and I booked it. And I, that feeling is what you have to give things all the time. Yeah. And if, you know, sometimes you can feel like you, I think you always have to have that feeling and always go 100, 150. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I, you, we all have these things where, oh my God, that did went terrible. Get out of your own head on that, on the picture. Oh, I know. Because you might, your judgment of it may be completely wrong. There, I had this audition once, tiny indie f- film, and they cut me off halfway in the what? audition. They cut me off halfway. And it was, uh, like, um, I forget if it was a monologue piece I had to actually bring in for a film or if it was just uh, the nature of the role. I'm like, oh, that didn't go well. I didn't bother me. I booked the role. They what? said I did something in it that was so, that they loved so much. They didn't need to see anymore the audition. They had just, <laughs> I went, Two weeks later, like what? Oh, that's great. I was a, I was a guy strung out on drugs. Okay. And 
there was something and there was a paranoia aspect and there was just mm -hmm. a random creak and I was just enough in character that I, I was responding to everything like that. And they said, yeah. and that little bit, they said that way I responded to that in character, they, they loved it. And I, I booked yeah. off that and I thought, well, you cut me off. And I'm thinking, you know, when you're cut off, you think, oh my God, that did not go well. They you know, can like, you imagine? Okay, me. thank you very much, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. You know, there's so much going on behind in the other people's brains. You, you just can't let that get to you. you I might, agree. I yeah. agree. So where can people find out more about you? Uh, there's my personal website, natebarlow.com. Okay. Uh, just run one word, run together. There's uh, the site for A Brief History of Hollywood is briefhistoryofhollywood.com. You can also get to that immediately via my, my website, though with no A at the beginning, just brief. And uh, wateroflifefilm.com uh, for, uh, for the water of life. And social media, uh, Nate Barlow is my tag, uh, except for uh, Facebook, it's Nate Barlow fans. And then for the Hollywood sign, it's because there's limits on the characters. It had to go H-L-L-Y-W-D sign film. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I had to cut, out, cut the vowels out. out. I'm sorry, <laughs> I what? I had to cut the vowels out to make it uh, within a Twitter handle length. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's all on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Everything is up there. Great. Thank you so much. Really great getting to know you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure.